My name is Mitra Manesh. I'm a servant. I serve through teaching, coaching, consulting, or any other way that I can find to share what I know with those who want to know. And this Lights On podcast is one of those ways. It was created with consciousness and mindful living in heart. So join us as we travel through many roads of learning and transformation together. And if you enjoy our podcast, please give us feedback by rating us five star and share us with others if you think they may benefit from it. On behalf of my team, I thank you for your presence. This week's episode is a longer episode and it's an interview of a podcast that Dr. Doreen Downing had with me. Dr. Downing is an expert and a coach in voice finding. She has a website called Essential Speaking and her message is find your voice, change your life. We sat down and spoke about um, uh, how and what experience I had as a child that uh, influenced the voice I have today. And um, I hadn't prepared for this and I wasn't sure what questions Dr. Downing will ask me. And it was interesting what came up for me. And uh, I spoke about the the voice, the vulnerable voice that was somehow, not intentionally, but um, without... Um, design was sort of removed from my childhood experience uh, and how I was called the strong child, the wise child. And as a result, uh, I really didn't have any point of reference or experience as a young person to my vulnerable voice and how that influenced my life as an adult. It's an interesting chat, uh, and I suggest that um, you take a listen, bring your favorite drink, and it's going to be longer, as I said, than normal. I speak about the importance of uh, the wonderful voice. Um, It's actually just as important as our powerful, strong voice, and how the voices are not given to us because if it, they are given, then they can be taken away. Anyways, let's take a listen together. Welcome to the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast with psychologist Dr. Doreen Downing. Listen in as Doreen interviews people who felt they didn't have a voice or who suffered extreme speaking anxiety. You'll hear stories about how they struggled to speak up, what they did to find their authentic voice and the confidence they now feel to speak up and make an impact. If you want to get started right away to find your voice, download Doreen's free seven-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. And now here is Doreen. Hello, I'm Dr. Doreen Downing, and I'm a psychologist and host of the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. What I love to do in these 
episodes is to invite guests who have a story, a story about finding their voice, a story about perhaps not having had a voice, so they know the difference. And today I'm really excited because this is somebody I've met, and you'll see why I've invited her to be on the podcast because of her background. Hi, Mitra. Hi, Doreen. So nice to be here with you. Oh, yeah. You could already tell folks by your voice, right? It's just so calming. (laughs) But I want to read a little bit about you so that people will get to know you right away and see why I'm so attracted to you and what you offer. Mitra Manish is the creator of the Mindful Attentionist Coaching, and that's MAC program, an inside-out program for deep training of global mindful coaches. She is also the founder of InnerMap, an innovative new mindfulness app, and the host of Lights On, a podcast offering support for a mindful life. She is a mindfulness thought leader, storyteller, and educator with almost four decades of experience helping people of all ages and many different cultures to live, love, and lead more consciously at home and at work. Big breath. Another welcome to you, Mitra. Thank you, Doreen. Love the way you read it. I felt good about that. <laughs> well, I'm so happy when I read it because it's it, it's so much more, you know, finding your voice and being able to express yourself more authentically in the world is so much more than just getting up on a stage and learning techniques. It's a, and I love your, your phrase, the deeper, the inside out program for deep training. (laughs) Is there other way? Is there another way to do it? (laughs) Not, not, not in my life experience or my own journey. Uh, Mm. That's what I discovered is that all the kinds of things that I did at first to find my voice, like Toastmasters and speaking trainings, um, gave me a good cover, but it didn't really reach as deep as I wanted to, or felt like what was possible for me, more potential. And it's an inside job. You are so right. Thank you. It is. I think everything has an inside and outside, and it only goes home totally and and in a sustainable way when you have paid attention to both. So I call it form and substance. In fact, that used to be the name of my business. So there is the inner and there is the outer. But the question is, where are we paying attention most to? Um, We live in a physical world that pays a lot of attention to the form, and that's great. But there's also substance that if it's not there, no form will really compensate for that lack. That is so uh, profound, my dear. (laughs) (laughs) What I want to start with and what usually our listeners are interested in first is just to hear something about your uh, childhood. I'm a psychologist, so I always like to give a little attention to where you grew up, how you grew up, what were those early influences around your voice. Hmm. Uh, I was born and raised in Iran, in Tehran, Iran. So I'm Persian. And uh, it was very interesting. I was the youngest of three. 
And um, I think by the time I arrived, all the juices of the family, especially my mother, had been spent on onto um, uh, energy consuming. I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, children before me, so I feel like I arrived and had a look around and decided that oops, there's not much room here <laughs> for anything. So I better you know take care of myself. And it was really fascinating as I was contemplating on your questions and, and the voice and how you arrive at your voice. And my story is fascinating, at least to me, that it wasn't that I didn't have a voice. It was that through a process that was interesting, my vulnerable voice was taken away. So I remember that everybody called me the wise child. And I, I give you one scene, and I think as a psychologist, that will really explain my childhood. So imagine it's a weekend. There are like, I don't know, 15 kids in the room, many of them older than me, a couple of them younger than me. And we're making a lot of noises and an adult comes in and checks on us to make sure we're okay. So he opened the door and he looked in the room and he said, oh, Mitra is here. So all is well. He closed the door and left. And I remember the scene because I immediately realized that I cannot be silly like all the other kids. I cannot also jump and up and down and break things and, and do things that kids do. And that, I think, continued in my life. And it was a very backdoor way of taking the vulnerable voice away. And it wasn't only that relative and, and one person. It was the, um, the reputation, if you like, that was uh, developed for some reason or, or given to me, because I'm sure I didn't hire a PR agency those days to, to do it for me. So somebody somewhere decided, you need to be the wise child. And it sounds really good. It sounds like, oh, that's fantastic. But then the, while, the wise child came out at the price of the vulnerable child. Oh. And the vulnerable child could never speak. That is so clearly uh, described. I, I would say that we have a similar history around my voice. And I think I'd never really called it vulnerable voice. I think it's like I've thought of it as my precious one. But uh, I was always the serious one. <laughs> mm. So and responsible. I was actually the oldest. So in a way, you know, I had to manage everything. And so somebody might come into a room like what happened to you and say, Oh, Doreen's here. Everything's going to be fine. But I think this, oh, I'm so glad that you talked about this inner inner one that uh, had to get in the back seat and not be in the front seat. And uh what that was and you know, you don't know that early on. You no. just, you just society, um, people around us identify us, and we we still haven't quite decided who we are at that age. <laughs> and also, it sounds good if they said, "Oh, you're the stupid one." We, everybody would object uh -huh. because even those days, everyone said, "Well, don't talk to a child like that." So that we never realized the opposite of it also has a weight that is not really a good way to put on a child. 
And um, I don't think anybody did it intentionally. I think it just gradually, you know, got developed somehow. But I realized it because of my journey that started quite earlier on. I um, lost my best friend when I was 12. I lost my father when I was 14. I lost my country when I was, uh, you know, in my early 20s. And, and the losses, loss, losses continued. Yes. So the question was, where do I go to find that um, that fun, playful child that I know existed in me and I know to this day she does. I'm in my 60s and I am ready to play at any time. And it, it's hard to really um, make her quiet anymore. And I don't have to. But even if I wanted to, I can't because she has so much life and she has so much energy that, that it's, she's not contained anymore, thank God. But it was a, it was a major um, obstacle. And because it was chocolate covered and it was a nice title, you know, the wise child, you know, who could go and, and object to this? It's just, sorry, I've come to complain about my adults in life and they called me a wise child. Everybody says, oh, that's fantastic. But it's not because then um, that limits you as a child, a child who doesn't know these things and doesn't have the whereabouts to you know, um, like, what do I do with this unbelievable title? And, um, and it was only years later when I started like my deep work uh, that I realized, oh my God, I really need to allow the vulnerable me to also have a voice, which really made me conclude that our vulnerable voice has just as much value as our powerful strong voice yes the vulnerable voice has just as much power as what we are calling the strong one and i i've had some people on my podcast that have talked about being loud and that was his way of covering up his vulnerability and this mm -hmm. i hope he's listening at some point to this because this really hits home for him about hiding his more um vulnerable side mm -hmm. and I, the whole idea about being playful, I think how I did it was through alcohol. Wow. That's mm -hmm. how I got my playful spirit out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, irresponsible and just, you know, not caring about anything and, you know, kind of shedding any kind of Doreen's the serious one and Doreen can handle situations. She's responsible. But so that was uh, early on in my journey was uh, using alcohol. Wow. And um, coming to terms with it, that at some point, but that's that's another story. Coming back to you, though, uh, the loss, the loss of um, you know a parent and loss, a lot of losses there. You said loss of your country, but you made it over here. What what? How did you? What was that choice about? How did you arrive in this country? And how did you make a decision about where to plant yourself? Uh, well, I planted myself in many countries before coming here. I actually, uh, U.S. was the first country I came to before the war and revolution in Iran. In the 70s, in 1977, I came as a student to U.S. I was in the um, University of Houston in Texas. <laughs> and uh, and then I, I had to go back and there um, I got stuck because the revolution happened and the doors were closed. So I literally walked out of my country uh, into Turkey, which was a border of Iran and Turkey. I mean, walked out 
of my country. I know people use this as a like you know walked out, but I literally walked out because they, yeah, they're, one foot of course, in front of the other foot. <laughs> exactly. yes. That's another story, but but yeah, I, I came out and and then ended up uh, living in Paris in Europe for a while, and then moved to Australia, and and then moved to Canada, and then eventually came back to US, and I've been here for I think. Uh, 18 years maybe or so uh, I've been here. So it was a coming back home really back to US and uh, making this my permanent home, whatever permanence means in my life. I've moved so many times that I don't think my permanence is as permanent as what other people refer to as permanent. But that's how I, I came back to US and I'm living in Los Angeles right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Southern California. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a sense that you had a wake up or a, some kind of shift. Just quickly, though, I was curious about what you studied at uh, in Houston. I was studying economics. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting, and uh, the, the the culture shock of the seventies and. And uh, I loved, I, I still am in love with anything from the 70s, the music, the movies, the colors, the, the everything there. But yeah, I was studying economics and uh, um, it was it was a very interesting times. And back in Iran, that was when um, uh, the pre-revolution events were happening and Shah was being objected to. And for the first time, I remember in 77 when Shah came to the king of Iran, that's what I'm referring to, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, came to visit Washington. There were a lot of uh, uh, demonstrations and objections. So I could tell something was about to happen. I didn't know what. We couldn't even imagine what has happened since then in all wildest imagination. Uh, But uh, yeah, it was a very interesting, challenging times for me, but also very informative, as you said, as as my, um, uh, I think, inner world was forming, the outer world was in complete chaos for me. Mm. And, and that yeah. actually helped my journey, believe it or not, because I realized the outer world is not where I can actually have an anchor. There are no anchors. Whatever I thought it was my anchor, my family, yeah. uh, my studying, my country, home, everything, all the things that we call our safety net, whatever it means to you, it was being just revamped and, and, and redesigned. So that was the invitation, a harsh invitation, but an invitation anyways, to go in and understand that the true anchor, the stability, the trusted source that I was looking for outside of me was residing inside of me. And once I found that, then I was quite um, differently and more able to work with the outer events of my life. Well, again, such a, such a description of your own process. So that uh, tapping into and discovering Say a little bit more about how, what that process was for you. Mm-hmm. 
So <laughs> I call it, it was either meditation or medication, but it's a, just a joke, honestly, because it rhymes. I love rhyming. But it, it wasn't that. It was really, what do I do? I mean, you referred to drinking. And I felt that the anything that was out, outwardly was not uh, an option for me. I have no idea why. I, I really don't understand the process I went through, but like I never, which is unbelievable. I was in the, I was on my own alone in, in, you know, another country. I never touched drugs. I never touched alcohol for some reason must be, you know, another journey that I've had maybe out of many other journeys. Sometimes you resolve some things and you don't need to revisit them in this lifetime. Uh, but they were not an option for me. And I really was determined to do something with my life. I don't know what that meant. I was so young. I, it, it's not like I had this clear vision of like where I want to be in life. But I knew that it couldn't be just uh, like sit back and watch your life. Well, my life told me I can't do that by, by, by its very mm -hmm. events. Mm -hmm. But I was open to, to really seeing that. And I think I realized earlier on that voice is not given. Voice is developed by yourself because if it was given, it could have been taken away and it was taken away through the uh, political you know, process that I saw take, event, take place in front of me. So I remember going on streets and objecting to say, for instance, what was happening to women in Iran after revolution. And I realized that so they can't give my voice because any time that they're threatened by that voice, either collectively or individually, that they can just say no more, like, you know, do not speak about this. Mm -hmm. So all of these little by little added to a more comprehensive way of understanding the value of a voice that is developed by me, for me, and, and through me. And then the true voice came. Of course, it would have been wonderful, and it was wonderful when uh, you as my friend, you as my teacher, you as my, you know, anybody in my life were giving me my voice. I would have loved that, and, and I did have those opportunities. But I also realized because I saw everything crumbling, and I thought, okay, so... This can't be. I can't rely on anyone. The friends that I had are no longer there. I just left the country. The contacts that you develop, you know, I pick up the phone and say, Doreen, can you help this with that? Like they were all gone. The, the possessions, the home, I came out with a bag smaller than a bag that I take shopping today. The only thing I had in them was uh, some photos and about approximately 800 US dollars. That's all I had. No visa, no place to go. I remember when I arrived in Turkey, I was cold and I didn't have enough clothing. So, because I didn't know what that happened, I couldn't bring a luggage when I was walking out of the country. So I realized that I gotta be it. I'm it. And then other people will arrive, but I can't count on them and then ask them to make me arrive. So I arrived at my voice. And then other helpers, supporters, or objectors. I don't know. There were a lot of objections to it, too. It wasn't all like, like wonderful. I found my voice, and there it was, heaven in front of me. It wasn't. But, but it didn't matter as much because I knew where the anchor was. I knew where the value was. I knew where the source was.
And that really, really helped me. Yes. And not, there were two things I noticed. One is uh, being able to locate it, identify it, meaning your anchor, your source uh, within, and um, being able to take yourself there. So there's a knowing that it's there, but there's also knowing how to access it and to do that pretty much. I think your work is about mindfulness, right? So it's like being mindful of when you're leaving that that area of anchoring inside of yourself. Yes, that's a great way of uh, saying it. Exactly. Seeing, uh, being an observer of you leaving your voice. And I knew that whenever I got upset with others. I knew I was leaving my own true voice because then I was expecting others to give me the power that I was looking for. And, and the, immediately I would remember that, oh, uh, what I haven't given myself, I'm now hoping, expecting, demanding others to give to me. So that became a very interesting practice for me, that the moment I got upset with somebody, I thought, okay, what am I not offering myself? What am I not understanding about myself that I'm getting upset with? Whoever, my friends, my lover, my, my child, my whoever, that I'm, my colleague, my client. And then it became a lot of inner work, which continues to this day. And uh, I don't think it will ever end. I know exactly what you mean. I feel like I started on the journey, the inner work journey, and it's uh, vast within us. And there's, we're just so full of potential. And I love discovery. One of the things that I'm getting from you too is that uh, by all of your experiences, you've done a lot of traveling. And I love to travel different countries. And that, that feels like somewhat similar of traveling within myself and discovery. Aha, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of uh, just turning a corner in a strange city and going, oh, wow, look at what I've just seen. And that's the external, of course, but I feel like I have that same experience when I discover more about myself or some of the things that you just said around um, being angry. Well, let's explore that. Let's look at it. You know, it's like a new, a new territory, you might say. Yes, yes, yes. I love that inner and outer uh, traveling. That is true. It is the same thing, except um, the difference, I think, for me is that I don't need to go anywhere when I go in. I can just, just make some space, some pause, and there I am. There's no ticket, no itinerary, no reservation. But but even going physically to somewhere else, I mean, those days before COVID when we could do that, I remember I would have a set itinerary. Of course, I would know where I'm going. And, you know, after I think I, I lost count after 60, 70 countries uh, where, where I visited, then I would have some plans, but then I would always leave some room for the unknown to arrive. You know, because if it, everything was set, I might as well stay where I was, you know, certain and, and had plans and had all those things knowingly. But when, when there was room for surprise, for unknown to arrive, you know, quite often, I remember I was in Singapore and the, the taxi driver and I got into discussions and he was telling me how his daughter was like into these things. And I said, why don't you introduce me to your daughter? Oh. So, 
so his daughter came to my hotel. We got to know each other. He, she took me to university. I ended up going out to dinner with him. It became such an amazing relationship that got me to know about the culture, the local culture, and this specific family's culture. Had I, had I like organized everything to the last minute, then there wouldn't be that opportunity to get to know them and their family and get to really experience living like a local for a few days with them. Oh, yeah. I had a similar experience in Italy, and I would say it's one of the best nights of my entire life, just totally arriving and opening up to uh, meeting people. And they said, oh, you know how to speak Malay. Oh, we're going to meet the Minister of uh, Education from Malaysia. And I went, Oh, and they said, you've got to come, you've got to come. And so, yeah, Italy, uh, the, the just going out all night. <laughs> so I know that, that living in the unknown. So, but also, oh, I just feel like I don't want to end with you, Mitra, because we're, it's getting to be the time, but I want to go specifically to mindfulness now because that, um, living in each moment is an unknown, really, you know, if we're living mindfully. So say a little bit more about voice and mindfulness, whatever comes to you about that. Sure. Well, the beauty of practicing mindfulness, and it's always practicing, not mastering, is that you understand the nature, the paradoxical nature of life. So what was true a second ago may not be true right now. So for me to experience and meet that experience, I need to be in the present moment. And there you go. The One of the most important principles of mindfulness is being in the present moment. And then it's the awareness. So there are five aspects, the way I uh, define, and, and mindfulness has many, many different definitions. The way I define it, that mindfulness is acceptance and awareness of our present moment experience with a sense of curiosity and compassion. So present acceptance, awareness, three, and then curiosity and compassion, the how of it. Mm -hmm. So when I am aware of my voice, when I am in present time meeting my voice or the voice of others, then there is a need because sometimes I say present is not pleasant. So I need to have that sense of acceptance that which doesn't mean agreement, but it's just, oh, that's interesting. Exactly what we were talking about. I'm getting provoked or my friend is getting provoked and really accepting that. And then the two others come in, which is, can I stay curious about this? And can I hold it with a sense of kindness and compassion? Mm -hmm. And so those principles, you understand human beings haven't really changed that much. Because if this was true so many thousands of years ago, and we see that all the principles of the Eastern world, all the so-called wisdom practices, are still true to this day. With all of our technology advancement, it is exactly true. They say Rumi's poetry, it's one of my teachers of study, uh, Rumi's uh, philosophy, not just poetry, is... Um, he is the most read poet in the world. Mm. He lived 800 years ago. You would think it would go out of fashion. But the truth, truth, exactly, yeah. never, ever ages. So 
really going to those roots and allowing these principles, whatever you want to call them, and I'm not attached to the name mindfulness, but some people have some sensitivity to them, really understanding things from a deeper place, an inner place, is very helpful to um, activate your voice, to hear your own voice, because that's another thing. The other thing that I think is very important is that when I hear my inner voice, then I can express my outer voice far more clearly and communicate that with that. So that is a tool for me. Mindfulness practices are a tool for me to access my voice so that I can express it, hold it, get curious about it, and also be compassionate about it when it's really challenging and difficult, either for me or for others to hear. Oh, that's so beautiful. Uh, you have programs and I want to make sure that people can find you because it feels like you've opened up uh, opportunities for people to get to know themselves much more, like you say, deeply in it within. So how do people find you? My name, mitramanesh.com. Everything I do is there. And uh, if uh, anybody is interested, I have a lot of free offerings. Uh, you mentioned my podcast. I have on YouTube and social media. They can just uh, Google my name, Mitra Manesh, and it's all on mitramanesh.com anyways. I also offer a lot of classes um, through UCLA. I teach mindfulness, mindful living actually at UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Center. So they can find me there or um, just check the work that I've done and it's available online. Yeah, just Google. Well, one of the things I'm leaving with is that it's ironic that you were labeled a wise child and then that became some kind of a um, container that didn't really um, help you express more vulnerability. However, your, your wisdom today, what you shared is wise. So in a way, it's, it, it just strikes me that... Uh, Maybe those people saw the deeper nature in you, the the wise you. However, it was just a little too early for you to come into <laughs> the wise wise teacher you are now. <laughs> it could be, but more importantly, this so-called and it's not wisdom; it's really knowing and, and exploration that I've done is not at at the price of uh, the playful fun me. I mean, those who work with me and, and take classes with me, they know like we have a lot of laughter and we have a lot of playfulness. And then we also have some wisdom that we share amongst ourselves, but it is not at the price of that. And yes, and I appreciate what they probably had something to do with, with my journey, what they saw or what how they labeled me. But I also was quite aware later on that, the tuition may have been too high the way I had paid that tuition. And I had to really access the, the playful me and, and the fun me and the one that who understands that this whole life cannot be taken that seriously, even though our inner world is quite deep and, and fascinating. Uh-huh. Well, I just love uh, swimming in this inner world with you, dancing in it and playing with you in the inner world. So thank you very much for sharing, sharing yourself and sharing your voice today. Thank you, Doreen, for inviting me. It was amazing how you 
reached out and contacted me. I'm very, very uh, happy that we connected and, and happy that I could share something on your platform. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person during interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. And remember to download Doreen's free seven-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll return next time. Until then, goodbye for now. episode answered the question or two for you or provoked and inspired questions in you. I'm so grateful you showed up and listened up. Until the next time, be well and stay curious.